0: Are we awake? We're not sure. Are we black? Yes, we are. And we're awake. This we're is very live. Well, good morning, good evening, or good afternoon, wherever you are, whatever you do. A lot of things happening in the world today. Most of them are far beyond our control, you might say. Perhaps it's time we took a pause and thought about life, and thought about the laws of gravity, the Constitution, anti-federalists, the proposed legislature, and property. Don't touch that dial. Just cheer me out for a little while. Well, last week we saw that Brutus was adamant that not having a Bill of Rights in the Constitution was, in his view, a fatal flaw. It, as I said, will become the issue when you're dealing with the Anti-Federalists and the proposed Constitution. This lack of a Bill of Rights, well, er everything else is discussable at least, but that lack of Bill of Rights is unpardonable. And of course, they would push to get the Bill of Rights in there The first 10 amendments would become the Bill of Rights. Let me caveat that. The first 10 amendments passed would become the Bill of Rights. There were actually 13 proposed. Um, One of those would not actually be ratified until 1992 and become the 27th Amendment. So there's some flex room in there, but the precious Bill of Rights that we have came about because of the Anti-Federalist position. This, however, is not the end of Brutus's problems with the proposed Constitution. He has major problems with the legislature as proposed. It, it's there are some things that he likes in the Constitution. He doesn't say what they are, and he reminds us that they are either relatively unimportant or their appearance is better than what they really are. He doesn't like them, but he's willing to acknowledge the fact that there may be some positives in this. The idea, in general, might be good, but this way of going about it is flawed. Now, I've said before that the difference between the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists is one of vision, looking forward. The Federalists seem to grasp the future. The Anti-Federalists, for whatever reason, do not. Brutus, in this third letter that he writes, has some serious issues, and some of these issues you're going to agree with. One of them I do not agree with, and we'll see that here right now. Brutus takes a look at the legislature as proposed, and he flat out does not like the idea of the Senate. Not that he doesn't like having a Senate, he likes that idea. What he doesn't like is the unfairness with which the Senate is composed. What do I mean? If you recall back in the convention, the the Great Compromise is what ended up with this balanced system where the House of Representatives, the Congress, is elected directly by the people. The Senate was to be appointed by the states themselves, and it was to be even amongst all the states. Every state was to have the same representation. That was the compromise, because otherwise the small states felt like they would just be snowed under by the big states. And in fact, at one point, the state of Delaware threatened to leave the convention and begin negotiations with foreign countries over this compromise if they didn't get equal representation in the Senate. Now, Brutus, as far as we know... Was not there. He was not at the convention, and consequently, he was not probably aware of what went on in that in that compromise. By the way, complete aside. I heard an interesting theory last week that the writer of Brutus, and remember we've we've talked about who it was that wrote this before. Um, Melancton Smith is the is the general consensus. I actually read a theory last week that the writer of the Brutus Anti-Federalist Papers is actually Alexander Hamilton. Now, think about that. Hamilton writes the Federalist Papers, or most, many of them, but he also maybe wrote the Brutus Papers. Maybe he was of two minds. Anyway, I don't believe it, but that's why I say the person wasn't there, because obviously if he had been there, he wouldn't have come up with this argument about the Senate being unfair. He specifically points out why does Delaware get the same representation in the Senate as New York or Virginia or the other bigger states, Pennsylvania? The, look, some of the anti-federalist positions are badly flawed, and this is one of them. He has no understanding of the compromise. He doesn't understand the logic, and he doesn't really understand that without that compromise, you're not going to get this government. You're not going to get anything. The Everybody agrees we can't continue under the Articles of Confederation, so we have to do something. And the Connecticut Compromise, the Great Compromise of the the Senate, is actually one of the more brilliant things that the convention came up with. Brutus, however, doesn't see it that way, and he is not happy with this equal representation idea in the Senate. And he makes it clear that he feels like that is unfair. More than unfair, though, is the Congress, the House of Representatives. Brutus has major league problems with the House of Representatives. Number one, he believes that the House of Representatives is far, far too small. Now, Consider in this for just a moment that today, it doesn't exactly work out to this because of state populations, and I get that. But today, there is roughly 760,000 Americans. There are roughly 763,000 Americans per congressman. Congress then, each each congressman then representing 0.23%. Of the overall population of America. Brutus would have, he would have absolutely an apoplectic fit over that because in 1787, he was furious that the proposed Congress was too small already. In 1787, it was about 503 people, 503,000 people per congressman. Now, again, it's not exact because of different state sizes, I get that but each congressperson represented 12% of the population. Now, again, population today 355 million, population 1787 just shy of 4 million. So of course it's going to be bigger. But in that era he thought that Congress was too small, and if it was too small then what is it now? The problem he feels with too small of a legislature. And remember that Washington General Washington had proposed that it be even less not 503,000 but 30,000 per congressman that was one of the originally proposed uh, amendments that didn't get passed the problem with the legislature being so small brutus points out is that you have a very limited number of people that are in control that are in charge you have a very limited number of people who are running things and that he says Opens it up for corruption, and he uses the word influence, which of course is polite language for bribery. He feels with that few number of people, representing so massive a population, that it's, it's going to be corrupt. It has to be. It, that's human nature, he feels. And if he felt that it was that bad at a 12% representation, imagine what he would think if he got in the DeLorean and came to today and saw our Congress today, limited to 435 members, each representing approximately 0.23, a quarter percent of the population. He would have had, well, he would have said, told you so. because. I don't think anybody's going to argue about corruption and bribery in our Congress. The bigger problem that he has, though, isn't just the size of the, of the, the Congress. There is a bigger problem. There is a huge problem. And it's a problem which reverberates down to this day. It's a problem in which people today, this is probably one of the things I hear the most from people who are, kind of peripherally talking about constitutional issues. This American original sin, you know, well, if I'd have been there, I would have done it differently. No, you wouldn't have. But what we've forgotten, what we've missed, is that there are many Americans in that era who deeply, passionately opposed the institution of slavery. And Brutus, as it turns out, is one of them. He writes this about the language of the Constitution. Quote, the words are, representatives and direct taxes shall be apportioned among the several states, which may be included in this union, according to their respective numbers, which shall be determined by adding the whole number of free persons, including those bound to service for a term of years, and excluding Indians not taxed. Three-fifths of all other persons, what a strange and unnecessary accumulation of words, are here used to conceal from the public eye what might have been expressed in the following concise manner. Representatives are to be proportioned among the states, respectively, respectively, according to the number of free men and slaves inhabiting them, counting five slaves for three free men. He doesn't like the language, because the language is cumbersome, which I'm sure James Madison heard and went, mm-hmm. but he's even more concerned about this idea that slaves, number one, are being counted, and number two, are being credited at three-fifths. Now, we have talked in the past about this three-fifths compromise, and we've understood a couple of things about it. Number one, it's a direct carryover from the Articles of Confederation. This is not a new idea. And ultimately, in a a strange way, it has the effect of being practical in that it acknowledges that slaves are, in fact, human beings. They're not full human beings, but at least it, it begins, it cracks that door to acknowledgment if If the doctrine had been that slaves are not people, period, not human beings, then they couldn't even have put the three-fifths in there. But they did. and the southern states recognized the fact that this was going to give them more representation, which of course, Brutus sees immediately. You're going to count these people who have no rights and no participation in government whatsoever. Now, again, it's a different time and it's a different era. He's not arguing that they should have participation in government. What he's saying is they don't have that. And yet you're counting them as if they do. Why count slaves at all? He said, if they aren't free agents, if they have no freedom. Then he goes on to say this. If slaves are only property... Why not include the other forms of property when considering how to allocate government representatives? Well, you have slaves, I have cattle. You have slaves, I have buildings. Why doesn't other property get counted this way? Of course, he recognizes the fact that there's a reason behind all this. These men, he states, are held in bondage in defiance of every idea of benevolence, justice, religion, and contrary to all the principles of liberty, which have been publicly avowed in the late glorious revolution. I don't know that I could have said it better myself. I don't know that anybody else could have said it better. Slavery, as practiced in 1787, was counter to every American value that we said we had. And everyone, I think, knew this, including Thomas Jefferson, George Washington. They all understood that it was. But again, as Jefferson had said to Franklin and to John Adams during the writing of the Declaration of Independence, I don't know how to fix it. No one knew how to fix it. No one could even travel back in time and say, you can fix this. Making matters worse, he went on, these states are to be permitted to continue the inhuman traffic of importing slaves until the year 1808. Not only does the Constitution not have a Bill of Rights, but it perpetuates slavery. And that is in violation of every principle that we hold to be true. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. If you're going to acknowledge the fact that these are men why are you counting them as three-fifths? Why aren't you counting them as total? Or, if they're property, why are you counting them at all? The idea that every American in that era, in the founding era, loved slavery is completely and utterly false. We hear it all the time these days about how, you know, Americans did this and did... Many Americans opposed slavery vehemently, passionately. But in 1787, no one knew how to solve the problem. And I don't care how many times you tell me differently that it should have been solved or could have been solved or whatever, you weren't there. We weren't there. And that problem could not be solved in 1787, despite the fact that there were millions of Americans who opposed it. And the bigger problem is that if you want a union of 13 states, And not 13 independent countries, some of whom have alliances with France and some with England and some with Spain and some with Portugal battling at each other's throats. You're going to have to accept this compromise for the time being. You don't get a United States if you do anything about it at that point. Doesn't make it right. And Brutus is very clear about this. Slavery is wrong. And I think that if you had Gone back in time with a polling system and and managed to talk to most Americans. I think you'd find that most Americans thought that. But no one knew how to solve it. And in the end, still nobody knew how to solve it. We ended up shooting at each other and killing hundreds of thousands of people to end it. It was the only way to do it. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it a shining star in our moment. A shining moment in our history, sorry. But it is important that we acknowledge and understand that even in the midst of the constitutional ratification debates, many Americans opposed the continuation of slavery. And I think sometimes we just forget that. We just assume that everybody that was there wanted to have slaves. And that is not true. Ultimately, though, Brutus circles back to this idea that this legislature that you've proposed simply not big enough to represent the entire peoples. You look around at all the great democracies, all the great republics in, in the past, and the, the level of representation is very high. Because, as Montesquieu said, you want to have engaged virtuous citizens. After the ratification of the Constitution, as they are debating the Bill of Rights, they're writing these First Amendments, there are actually, as I said, 13. only. Only 11 of them ultimately will be ratified, 10 of them initially. One, not until 1992, the 27th Amendment that says Congress doesn't get a pay raise until there's an intervening election, which, by the way, they ignore. But Washington actually proposed one of these amendments at which the level of representation would be permanently set at one for every 300,000 people. Now, if you whip out your calculator here, which is what I'm doing, and you say, okay, let's get the calculator up here, and we say we have 355 million people divided by 30,000, that means that a Congress limited to that size would have roughly 11,833 Congress people in it. I don't know. I think 435 is far too small. I think 435 is ridiculously small. But 11,000, 12,000 might just be unwieldy. I'm not sure. I'm not sure where the appropriate level is. I'm not sure what it could be across that. Maybe if we did, uh, let's see, 355 million divided by. Hundred thousand. Oops, that's not right. Three fifty-five. One two three. One two three. Divided by a hundred thousand people. Right? That would be. Well. Three fifty-five. One two three. One two three. Divided by one hundred. One two three. That'd be thirty-five hundred. Would that be more reasonable? I think Brutus is right. The Congress at the level that it's set is too small. The level of representation in 1787, 12% of the population represented by each congressperson was too small. He was offended by it being so small. He was concerned about it being so small because that small is subject to bribery and corruption. And today, we don't even have a quarter of a percent represented by it. And you'd have to look around and say, well, he was probably right. I don't know what the right level would be, but I know 435 is too small. And I know 12,000 is probably too big, too expensive, especially with what we pay these people. So, what's the right level? I don't know. This again, where the anti Federalists fail to look forward and see, and the Federalists don't, but they never settled on this number. And the biggest problem that we have with this 435 number is that we, the people, never said that. (laughs) Congress decided that and has limited itself to 435 people. Which, again, if the problem with having a small legislature is that it's subject to corruption and influence, you would have to say that Brutus was correct. He concludes his letter by saying this. And I will leave you with these words for your consideration. No free people on earth, none, who have elected persons to legislate for them, have ever reposed that confidence in so small of a number. Should Congress be bigger? Absolutely it should be. The anti-federalist position was correct. Do you think Congress cares? Do you think anybody even has those arguments anymore? Sadly, we do not. Take the time right now. Tell the people that matter in your life you love them very much. You'd miss them if they weren't there. So don't pass up those opportunities. You don't want to have that regret. Plausibly Live, I'm Dave Bowman. We'll see you next time for The Dave Bowman Show.